The Texas Heartbeat Act has caused shockwaves across the nation. The United States Congress passes a bill that would legalize abortion until birth. Mexico's Supreme Court decriminalizes abortion. A 28-year-old mom with cancer chooses to amputate her leg rather than abort her baby. Many of the experts who advocate for the abortion pill in the media are actually on the payroll of abortion pill manufacturers and more news items coming right up. Hello everyone and welcome back to The Pulse, a monthly roundup of important and interesting abortion-related news from around the world brought to you from a pro-life perspective. I I'm the host of the show, my name is Peter, and with me again is my wonderful co-host Cam. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Peter. I hope that you can say the same and I hope that you and our audience are doing great as well. Let's dive into it. I think that a lot of you in our audience are probably very familiar with the incredible life-saving legislation that was recently passed in the state of Texas in the United States of America. This legislation would protect preborn children after a heartbeat can be detected for around six weeks gestation, which was an incredible leap protecting tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of babies in that state. And though we're not going to dive into the legislation itself, we've dedicated an entire episode, episode 59, in which we had a conversation with Eric Scheidler, the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League, talking about this legislation, what it means for moms, what it means for babies, what it means for the community. What we want to do now, Peter, I think, is to dive into some of the response that we've seen across the nation, because tragically, not everyone is celebrating this life-saving life legislation. But rather, there are many people, and as we'll get into, the president included, who are bemoaning this as a massive attack on women's reproductive health. Let's talk about what is the response been to this legislation in Texas. Yeah, for sure. And with that, I will start with the American president, Joe Biden. Joe Biden, who apparently is a Catholic president, has uh, instructed his administration to do whatever possible to stop the Texas Heartbeat Act. And so to that end, the Attorney General Merrick Garland has issued a statement from the Department of Justice stating that the department will, and I quote, provide support from federal law enforcement when an abortion clinic or reproductive health center is under attack, end quote. Then, uh, Cam, in an apparent attempt to conflate pro-life laws with violence, Garland also stated that, and I quote again, we have reached out to U.S. attorney's offices and FBI field offices in Texas and across the country to discuss our enforcement authorities. We will not tolerate violence against those who seek to obtain or provide reproductive health services physical obstruction or property damage in violation of the FACE, which is the Freedom of Access to Abortion Clinic Entrances Act, end quote. And so very much in support of doing everything he can, the Biden, Biden and his administration, to get rid of the Texas Heartbeat Act. And Biden and uh, the White House also gave its endorsement to the Women's Health Protection Act, the WHPA. And that's a bill that we're going to discuss, Cam, in just a moment. Moving on from there, there was an interesting piece at Salon.com that was titled, Why Satanists May Be the Last Best Hope to Save Abortion Rights in Texas. That's right, Satanists. They're going to be the ones that are going to save abortion rights. They're the ones that, that abortion supporters in some ways are looking to. And, and here's, here's why. The Satanic Temple has issued, as we've talked about on a previous episode of The Pulse, they've established an abortion ritual and now is attempting to use the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to argue that its members should be allowed to access 
abortion drugs like misoprostol and mifeprestone for religious purposes. And so the group sent a letter to the Food and Drug Administration demanding access to abortion pills for its members. Lucian Greaves, the spokesperson for the Satanic Temple, told the San Antonio Current, and I quote, I am sure Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who famously spends a good deal of time composing press releases about religious liberty issues in other states, will be proud to see that Texas's robust religious liberty laws, which he so vociferously champions, will prevent future abortion rituals from being interrupted by superfluous government restrictions meant only to shame and harass those seeking an abortion, end quote. Many businesses, Cam, also responded. According to National Review, more than 50 companies have signed a statement condemning the Texas law. Companies like Lyft, Yelp, Stitch, Bumble, Michael Stars, Vice Media Group, The Body Shop, Zendesk, 7th Generation, and I could go on and on. These are a few notable names that added their signatures to the statement. It's interesting that Lyft not only um, signed the statement, but also committed to donating $1 million to Planned Parenthood as a response to the challenges they're going to face with this law. And then, Cam, uh, there's an abortion advocate by the name of Richard Hanania, and he uh, did what our colleague Jonathan Van Maren said. He said the, the quiet thing out loud. He said, you know, the thing that is true, he said it out loud um, when at one point we didn't say these things out loud. He's the president of the Center for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology, and he's a former scholar from Columbia University, and he noted that the Texas law would have a horrible consequence. He writes, and I quote, you can't screen for Down syndrome before about 10 weeks, and something like 80% of Down syndrome fetuses are aborted. If red states ban abortion, we would see a world where they have five times as many children with Down syndrome and similar numbers for other disabilities, end quote. And so for him and for many abortion supporters, the tragic aspect of this abortion law is that children with Down syndrome will have a chance to live. But there's some good news as well, Cam, and this is the last point before I pass it back on to you. And that is that CareNet, which is a Christian network of uh, crisis pregnancy centers, said that they are seeing an increase in calls since the passage of the Heartbeat Act. Roland Warren, who's the president of CareNet, said, and I quote, we're definitely seeing more folks. The call volumes are up about 30% or so. That's pretty consistent with what we've been hearing from the Texas pregnancy centers, end quote. Now, this is fantastic news, obviously, as more and more people are seeking help in their time of crisis and not the sort of quote unquote help that uh, includes ending the life of their preborn child. And Warren also states this, and, and I quote, uh, he, he just shared these stories. I quote, a couple of clients came in and before they did an ultrasound, the woman said, I hope that the baby is more than six weeks which shook me a little bit because she said that she would take the she said that that would take the decision off her plate. This comment and others like it that we've heard on college campuses uh, end quote sorry. This comment cam this is something this is mine again. This comment is is similar to ones that we've heard on college campuses and it's further proof that if abortion is restricted, if there are restrictions on abortion, if this option is off the table for men and women alike, then women feel less inclined to seek this 
procedure out, to seek abortion out as an option. And many of them actually feel relieved that that option's off the table. And now they'll have to, to you know, the opportunity to, to keep their child and to raise and nurture their child. Cam, what do you make of all of this? Yeah, I mean, we could go on and on about the response from various people within the media, within politics, within religion, um, and their commentary on this. I think there's a lot to unpack already, though. And and as pro-lifers, we've talked about abortion being um, child sacrifice for a long time. And I think that there are direct links we can link to not only passages from the Old Testament and, and how we replace the gods of Baal and Molech with self-interest and careers and pursuits and all that sort of thing, but the Satanists are taking this even one step further and literally making this child sacrifice in a religious capacity. How this doesn't horrify absolutely everybody, I don't know. Um, However, I think that this can only be damning for the abortion rights industry in that um, they're, when they look over to their bedfellows and they're seeing the Satanists and that's about it, climbing into bed with them, that's, that's got to be alarming and, and disturbing. With that said, though, it's also disturbing that there are so many of these companies that are trying to rally around women's reproductive rights. I think that um, it's not surprising in that this puts their their companies into the media, it boosts their, their branding because people are being aware of them. But I certainly find this very, very disappointing that a group that you didn't mention, Patagonia, one of my favorite camping brands, hiking brands that I, I often support because of their dedication to not using child labor overseas is now kind of off of my list because they too are dedicating support towards Planned Parenthood to try to increase those abortions again. And so many alarming things in there. And yet, I think that this is such a fascinating time, especially for us, Peter, in Canada, where the abortion war, the, the culture war ultimately seems like it's been at a stalemate in some ways in which we're just lobbing things over, um, trying to get into each other's... Um, um, areas. And, and yet this is where the bridgehead is, as, as our colleague Jonathan Van Maren would say, and as he's entitled his blog, the bridgehead of this area of actual direct conflict, the touch point of our culture, where we are seeing the culture war played out in earnest. We're seeing pro-lifers rally around this pro-life legislation. We're seeing care networks and pregnancy support centers and government agencies and private entities and churches all rallying around the families. And we're seeing abortion advocates um, from across America, and I'm sure around the world as well, flying in like vultures, trying to attack where they can because they're terrified. They're scared of actually losing ground. This is um, something to our shame that the pro-life movement hasn't done a whole heck of a lot of over the last several decades. We haven't gained a tremendous amount of ground, particularly here in Canada. And yet I find this so fascinating to see how this is going to play out in Texas and ultimately across America because there's a lot going on in the background. We're going to touch on a story um, in just a moment here, Peter, but we also need to be aware of the fact that there's a very, very fascinating case. It's going before um, the Supreme Court this year, actually, which may crack open this case even further to put legislation on abortion back to the state level and away from federal directives that was ensured by Roe v. Wade. Um, great thinker and an apologist and philosopher Robert P. George wrote a fantastic article that we'll put in the show notes here about how he believes with his analysis of culture and the legal process of the case Dobbs versus Jackson women's health organization. We may see Roe versus Wade overturned in the next 12 months here. It's a case certainly that we are following in bated breath. However, 
This is something going on in the background, but not just that, Peter, you alluded to the fact that um, President Biden, along with um, Congress, have been trying to work, not behind the scenes, very formally, to um, guarantee abortion access across America, not just through the first trimester, not just through the second trimester, but all the way up until birth. Let's talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I, I mentioned the Women's Health Protection Act at the beginning. And we're, let's talk about that right now. So the American House of Representatives responding uh, in large part to the Texas Heartbeat Act, but also to the wave of pro-life legislation that's being passed across the United States over the past uh, few years. Um, and really, like you said, Cam, there's this imminent threat to Roe versus Wade. Well, the American House of Re Representatives has moved to enshrine abortion rights into federal law. And this is from Live Action News. And I quote, the U.S. House of Representatives passed the Women's Health Protection Act of 2021 on Friday. Uh, so this was last week um, from time of posting. Uh, and this is a bill that intends to enshrine abortion law as a right throughout all nine months of pregnancy for any reason. The law, which was endorsed by uh, Joe Biden's White House would prevent states from passing protections for preborn children, such as protections like the one we're talking about, the Texas Heartbeat Act. But it would actually also go further, further than any current pro-abortion law. Now, I'll get into that in a second. The bill passed in the House of Representatives by a 218 to 211 vote. Very close, but did still pass and moved on to the Senate. Pro-life legislators refer to this law, to this bill, as an abortion on demand until birth act, because it would allow exactly that. Now, Joe Biden, in uh, when he was running, made a promise that he was going to codify Roe into law. But the WHPA, the Women's Health Protection Act, goes far further than Roe and would make, like I said, uh, abortion a right. It would ban states from restricting abortion after viability. Uh, viability is the point at which a preborn child is capable of surviving outside of the womb. It would wipe out many of the pro-life laws that are currently in place throughout the nation. It would end conscience protection rights for medical pro professionals, which will inevitably force them to participate in abortions against their will or risk losing their jobs. And it, would, and it also states that abortion is essential for women to be able to participate equally in the economic and social life of the nation. Now, this law is expected to face a challenge in the Senate, thankfully, um, where there is a good deal of uh, opposition. There are some pro-abortion politicians in the Senate who are not sure if they're going to be supporting this because of how far it actually goes. And so what we're doing now is hoping and uh, anticipating um, seeing this uh, bill come into the Senate to see where it goes and really hoping that it dies there. Cam, what are your thoughts on this, sir? Yeah, this this is again the touch point of our culture war that we had to know that this election, this past federal election within America, future federal elections and state level, these are going to have human lives sway, swaying in the balance. And I think that particularly for those who came into this past election saying that we have to be more than one issue voters, that the Republicans never do much for preborn children anyways. Um, what does it really matter, the difference between a vote for Trump and a vote for Biden or a vote for the Republican Party and a vote for um, the Democratic Party? This goes far beyond whether or not you like the particular leader. Right, We are not even talking about something as monumental as um, ending the Hyde Amendment, something that has saved hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives in America. 
we are talking about something that will become legislation that will almost guarantee the slaughter of a tremendous number of children in the States. This is something that we have to anticipate. This is something that we should have been prepared for, ultimately, and not that we could have done much to prevent this. However, pro-lifers may be naive in thinking that, you know, things can't get much worse. We are simply needing to hold fast and, and claw back and pro-abortion people are going to um, fade away quietly into the night. No, absolutely not. As we're seeing, they are pushing for even greater um, pro-abortion access across America. This is something that is absolutely worth contacting your senator, even if you're confident that they are pro-life, that they're going to vote the right direction. They absolutely need to hear from you. And this is something that even our international guests, whether in Canada or elsewhere around the world, can give um, feedback and commentary on. Obviously, you're not able to influence a particular senator. However, social media knows no geographical boundaries. And so keep this conversation going and keep people realizing what this actually means. Peter, you and I have talked about... Um, the, the unraveling of abortion access in Ireland and how these early promises of limited abortion access and oh, it never actually happens late term or anything like that um, have really, as I mentioned, unraveled into abortion on demand. We're seeing this grow and grow and grow. And as we often hear in Canada, abortions never happen late term. And so this is just a... Um, a figurehead sort of thing. No, abortions absolutely happen um, late in the third trimester in Canada, and they certainly will be doing that in America as well. And as those stories that you mentioned earlier about mothers being relieved to not have to worry about abortion, not having to worry about coercion from their family members, not having to worry about pressure or influence towards abortion. It's simply out of their hands. It's a choice not even on the table. That is something that we need to protect as well. And so our hopes and prayers go out to those in the States. And I um, certainly encourage those who live in the States and again, those around the world to weigh in on this conversation, ensure that your senator is going to vote the right direction on this, and let's hope and pray that this does not go into law and that we continue to see progress towards pro-life protection and not a bounce back towards the pro-abortion movement. Moving south of the American border, it was only last year when Mexico's top court rejected the decriminalization of abortion by a wide margin. This past, this past month, however, that changed. According to the Iona Institute, Mexico's Supreme Court has unanimously voted to de decriminalize abortion. They write, and I quote, the 10 judges declared unconstitutional a law in Coahuila, a northern state that imposes up to three years behind, behind bars on women who undergo an abortion and the doctors who perform it. The ruling applies across the country. The loosening of abortion restrictions is the culmination of a small but growing wave of really piecemeal liberaliz liberalization that we've been seeing in Mexico, where almost all of the 32 states have outright bans with narrow exceptions such as rape, fetal malformation, or risk to the mother's health. In 2007, Mexico City, the capital, passed a law allowing women to terminate their pregnancies or have an abortion on any grounds during the first 12 weeks. Since 2019, three other states have followed suit in the traje trajectory of the culture and of the, the way that uh, Mexico is going, we anticipate seeing more as well as the years go by. Um, more than half of Mexico states have abortion bans on the books, like I said, 
Uh, and the law still very much does vary from place to place. This ruling, however, essentially eliminates the ability to enforce pro-life laws. Yeah, this is certainly a disheartening blow that we've seen in America. It's, it's in some ways similar to what we saw happen in Argentina earlier this year. And it's something that pro-lifers, as we've been talking about through this entire episode, and as we always talk about on The Pulse, where we're talking about this pro-life news, we need to be prepared for this back and forth tug of war. That tragically, I'm sure that much of the conversation around this legislation was centered particularly on um, the jail time and sentencing of the mothers receiving the abortions. I'm sure there were even pro-life people, maybe even pro-life judges who ruled against this as unconstitutional because of the jail time for mothers. It's something that pro-lifers often debate and discuss as to whether or not mothers should be punished in the Abortion Act or not. However, if pro-lifers are going to advocate and respond, we need to do so effectively and swiftly because you have to assume that even if this was done under the sentiment of a better pro-life law, this is not going to be the case. Abortion advocates are going to jump all over this. And so as we're seeing the culture war um, attack greater and greater states, we've seen the green wave um, or the green tide rising throughout Latin America and South America. Um, the blue wave has responded, and we hope and pray again that they're going to respond effectively in this area as well. Much of Mexico, as you mentioned, Peter, is still holding fast to pro-life legislation. However, Mexico City obviously being the greatest um, populace um, in Mexico, having fallen in 2007, as you mentioned, it's something that demands a, a massive response from pro-lifers to ensure that even as abortion advocates chip away, maybe we can fill this vacuum with even better pro-life legislation where um, those abortion providers, those coercing and um, influencing those to have abortions, similar to the Texas law that we've spoken about, will be able to replace the old laws coming off the books replacing them with even better. We saw this in Canada in 1988 with the Morgenthaler decision and the pro-lifers inability to fill that void with something better. Hopefully those pro-lifers in Mexico and around the world who are facing similar attacks will be able to do um, better with the hindsight that we now have from Canada and other nations around the world in how abortion advocates have um, use these opportunities, these openings to leverage massive access to abortion. I hope and pray that Mexican um, pro-lifers will be able to respond um, very thoroughly to ensure that babies are protected in their nation. If you're watching this on YouTube or listening on a podcast catcher and you haven't subscribed yet, I, I, we'd like to encourage you to do so so that you are aware of when we release new videos. And also, uh, do share it with your friends. Share this content, share other episodes as well with your friends. Help get the message out that we're trying to share. Number one, we share a lot of pro-life apologetics, but we also are doing what we're doing now, sharing a lot about what's happening in the abortion war. Share it with your friends, share it with your family. This is content that the social media sort of bosses don't want to reach the world, this sort of content. So do help us out in that way. A brave mother has revealed that she has decided to undergo a leg amputation to save her preborn baby after being diagnosed with cancer for the third time. According to DailyMail.com, 28-year-old Kathleen Osborne from Cambridgeshire had no idea that she was pregnant until she went for an, an MRI scan last year and after discovering a lump on her right leg. She was stunned, as the Daily Mail reported, to find out not only that had her bone cancer returned, but she was pregnant. And so her doctors gave her two options, either uh, abort her baby and uh, start chemotherapy 
or have her leg amputated. It took Kathleen only one night to make her very difficult, I would imagine, decision, but a life-changing one nonetheless. And at four months pregnant, she had her leg amputated so that she could save the life of her little child. Her daughter, Ada May, was born healthy and happy eight weeks early via C-section. What a beautiful story, Peter. And, and it speaks to the heroic virtue of this courageous mom who made the sacrifice for the life of her child. We often speak, Peter, you and I, in conversations. We spoke with um, Dr. Ryan Wilson several months ago about what happens when a mother's life is in danger and how, yes, we can set a moral bar very low often that we're not going to demand that mothers make this nature of sacrifice. This is heroic virtue rather than moral necessity. However, what a beautiful story of somebody who's willing to lay down their life for their preborn child. I spoke with a woman in Winnipeg several years ago at one of my presentations who shared a similar story and simply gave me this line that if I would lay down my life for any of my born children, if I would rush into traffic to save one of my born children, why would I not do the same thing for my preborn child? And I think that's a beautiful way of looking at this, that this mother made a decision that obviously put her at extreme risk through this very, very extensive surgery because she cared so desperately about her child. And that's something that we need to applaud more and more. We need to challenge and encourage people in our culture because this notion of heroic virtue rarely even enters the minds of many people in our society. So sharing beautiful, sacrificial stories like this, I think, can be so monumental in the lives of other people when they consider the sacrifices, the very minor sacrifices at times that may be required of them to navigate whatever challenging pregnancy they may be dealing with. This act of courage should be considered as a, a beacon of hope for the pro-life movement, that there are still people who are willing to make these sorts of sacrifices for their children. And... How much better would our world be not to say that everyone needs to have their legs amputated for children? However, if we, if we went far and above the call of duty and went to the call of love to genuinely, genuinely sacrifice of our time and energy and our, our comfort, maybe even our, our limbs and livelihood, as was the case for St. Gianna Mola, um, for the sake of those around us. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful story and certainly something for us to reflect upon as we consider the sacrifices that we are being called to make within our own journey, whether for our own children, for our own children before or after birth, or even for those of us in the pro-life movement. What sacrifices are we making and what ought we be willing to sacrifice for the protection of preborn children? As always, Cam, as we uh, move to mainland Europe, there are always battles raging on over abortion rights. Now, San Marino, which is a landlocked republic in central Italy, just had a referendum on legalizing abortion. The referendum took place on September 26 and determined whether to allow abortions up to 12 weeks of pregnancy or afterwards if the mother's life was in danger or in the case of fetal abnormalities which could harm the woman physically and psychologically. It was one of only a few places left in Europe where abortion procedures were illegal. However, residents in the tiny republic voted overwhelmingly to, uh, su to support, to legalize abortion, with nearly 77% of voters voting in favor of the proposition, which uh, in turn rejected a nearly 150-year-old law that had protected preborn children for that long. 
Again, tragic development here in San Marino, a, a very small nation state where I'm sure they could probably do this referendum simply by a show of hands because they could probably all fit into the town square. To me, no offense, them, a tiny, tiny town. And yet this, these are the lengths that abortion advocates are willing to go to to ensure that there is abortion ac- access under every rock and in every cranny to ensure that never does a woman feel like she can't kill her child. This is tragic. This is tragic as a a development that we've seen in Italy and other um, Western European nations over the past decades here. And San Marino is simply the last of these dominoes to fall. But we can't look at it, as I've mentioned so many times, in such a defeatist way. That yes, this is a referendum that pushed it in that direction. However, what we've seen in other places in Europe, whether it's Poland, whether it's Hungary, whether it's uh, Malta or others, that with the resurgence of pro-life activity... When, when you think about a nation state like San Marino, where CSPR summer interns could door knock through that, that nation in a couple of summers sort of thing, I'm sure, we could deliver postcards to the entire nation in less than one summer. This is something that pro-lifers ought to be responding to in action. Sometimes it can be overwhelming when we look at something like Mexico. And we look at Mexico City, as we talked about, a, a, a city with millions and millions of people. How are we going to flip that city? We have to start where we can. We have to go person by person through that city. And yet, I hope to embolden the people, especially of Central Europe, um, to be able to respond to this because with 77% of that population, with dedicated pro-life outreach and activism, that is a nation that could very manageably be flipped with the Lord's blessing in a very short amount of time with dedicated and effective pro-life outreach. And so do not underestimate the value of pro-life outreach in large cities, whether it's Mexico City, whether it's other places throughout Western Europe or in, in North America. But also realize that when we have a place like this, it is not worth giving up on um, even very small um, nation states like San Marino. We need to see a response there. And I hope that those that we have worked with in pro-life Europe and other nations um, in, in the European Union and outside of it can respond with diligence to flip this back. Because in a time of transition, there's an opportunity where there's a buzz amongst the citizens to have conversations, to dispel the, the lies that are, are often perpetrated um, and promulgated by the abortion industry, as we've seen in in Ireland and other places, now is the time to push back as diligently as we can to ensure that this is simply a stumbling block that is reversed at the earliest opportunity. And finally, we often hear abortion supporters in the media, in politics, and in medicine talk about the abortion pill and how it's the perfect solution for women who are pregnant and want a convenient way to uh, remove their child. Uh, And in the same breath, they often talk about the abortion pill reversal procedure, a conversation that we had uh, not too long ago on the podcast as well. And they share how this is, it's awful, it's anti-science, it doesn't work, the studies are false, and all of that. Certainly a lot of bias uh, coming here um, from the experts who are talking about the abortion pill and the abortion pill reversal procedure. Well, Live Action News has learned that many of these experts, many of the experts that the media rely on, many of the experts that politicians rely on, uh, who advocate for the abortion pill and against the abortion pill reversal procedure, are actually on the payroll of abortion pill manufacturers. Cam, there's a Live Action News had a whole list of examples, but I'll just share two of them here. Courtney Scriber, she's an assistant professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. She's a member of the National Abortion Federation, a member of the Physicians for Reproductive Choice and Health, 
and a member of the Society of Family Planning. She's co-authored uh, researched research papers that have been published in many different places, including uh, JAMA, J-A-M-A, Network Open uh, Perspective, Open Perspectives on Sexual Health, Reproductive Psychiatry and Women's Health, and more like that. Now, she uh, stated that laws where doctors were required to inform patients about the abortion pill reversal option are, and I quote, deeply distressing, end quote, and quote, mortifyingly harmful to women. She's a key expert cited in the media, as I said off the top, and she has received personal fees and consulting fees from Danko Labs, uh, which Danko is an abortion pill manufacturer. And so while she's talking about the extremely harmful effects that the abortion pill reversal procedure has on women, she's also getting money from the very creator of the abortion pill. Beverly Winnikoff is another example. She's the founder and president of Gynuity Health Projects, which conducts clinical trials to expand use of the abortion pill. Now, when Gynuity abortion pill trials were conducted, the company received financial support from Ibis Reproductive Health, which was directly funded by Danco, again, that abortion pill manufacturer. This is These are two of many, Cam, uh, experts in the field, experts who the media referenced time and time again, who are getting payments, getting uh, fees, getting money directly from one of the biggest abortion pill manufacturers. Yeah, I, again, it, um, years past, this would have been concerning and and horrifying the corruption levels that are out there with within the academic community and how, yeah, they're on the bankroll of these abortion pill producers. And yet, I'm sure that this won't even cause abortion advocates to bat an eye tragically that so long as they corroborate the story that they want to hear, they're willing to accept it, regardless of how much pressure they're under by the abortion pill manufacturers who are um, payrolling their whatever other research or experiments or, or clinics that they're involved with or running. This is in, extremely shady. It should absolutely throw um, people to doubt all of the information that has come out from them when they are literally being incentivized to share a particular narrative. This is incredibly disturbing. Yes, everybody is going to have a natural um, affinity or opposition towards abortion and abortion pills. It's impossible to have a purely academic look on this necessarily. And yet for somebody who is so actively involved in the abortion industry, so actively involved in pushing abortion as far and as wide as they possibly can, as we've seen with both Courtney and Beverly, um, it should absolutely be concerning that we are relying on them for somewhat accurate information regarding the abortion pill and whether or not the abortion pill reversal procedure should or should not be shared with patients. I think this is very, very disturbing. I think that this can be useful in conversations that we're having about abortion, abortion pills, and how uh, much of a machine we are working against. This isn't independent auditors. This isn't an independent study as we so often see it being proposed to be, but rather a study performed by people who are directly benefiting from the growth and increase of abortion pill access in America. And so this should be no massive surprise to pro-lifers, especially especially in light of, of the research that has been done by the Center for Medical Progress and David Delayden over the last several years um, and, and the corruption that reigns within the pro-abortion industry. 
And yet this can hopefully be leveraged to cause pause amongst those who advocate in favor of this information-based um, legislation or policies the information that they're getting is clearly being handled by people who have a very slanted view on what ought to be done and as such must be taken with a grain of salt, I suppose. Well, Cam, that concludes this month's roundup of important and interesting abortion-related news from around the world brought to you from a pro-life perspective. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Before we go, Cam has notified me that he has something to say. Take it away, sir. One last thing just to put on people's radar, obviously in Canada, we recently had a federal election and it just brings to mind just to to get people thinking, I'm sure that there are many out there who do not support the Conservative Party of Canada. I'm sure there are some who do. I'm sure there are many people listening to this podcast, though, Canadian or otherwise, who want to see protection for preborn children. And despite the narrative that may be spun to you about all of the reasons why Aaron O'Toole and the Conservative Party of Canada didn't lose and all of the flaws and problems that he was having to deal with from Andrew Scheer. It cannot be denied that Andrew Scheer, though not a uh, a successful or excellent leader, not only gained more seats from a liberal majority down into a liberal minority the last time election was called, but also gained over a million more votes than Aaron O'Toole. And so we don't have time necessarily to dive into an entire um, election analysis. However, I think that it's appropriate to, to reflect, especially for Canadians right now, that though a leadership um, election hasn't been called quite yet for the Conservative Party, I think that it is very, very appropriate to push for that in whatever ways we can, whether you're involved with your local EDA, whether you're involved in politics in any capacity, or whether this may be the first time you get involved with politics. Peter, as, as Canadians, you and I, I think this ought to be talked about as a a fantastic opportunity to challenge the notion that pro-life issues, social conservative issues are, um, as Peter McKay often put it, a stinking um, albatross around the necks of the Conservative Party. As you saw, um, not only did Peter McKay flame out when it came to the uh, the, the leadership nomination, but also the second most pro-abortion candidate within that leadership race has also evidently flamed out when it came to um, the federal stage because in many ways of his social policy and how he um, did not inspire any part of the socially conservative base that the Conservative Party of Canada often has. And so that's the last note on me, um, just because we didn't talk about anything from Canada here. um, I'm sure that we could go on and on, but that's all from me, Peter. And thank you all for tuning in. Absolutely. Yeah. If you haven't subscribed, like I said off the top, please do so. Also check out our new website, prolifeguys.com. We've upgraded the website. We've changed it. There's a lot of new changes that are on this website. And so go check it out. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. Like I said, if you have any questions, if you want to reach out to us to learn more, to uh, share your thoughts, whatever it might be, you can do that on our website, prolifeguys.com, or you can do it by finding us on Facebook, the Prolife Guys Podcast, Instagram, at Prolife Guys Podcast, Twitter, the Prolife Guys Podcast, or wherever else you uh, do your social media. We're on a number of other uh, obscure platforms that three other people use because we want to be found everywhere. So do reach out to us if you have any questions. Thank you so much. We hope you tune in again next time.